Howdy, Pastor Mark Driscoll here with Ask Pastor Mark. If you've got a question, send it in to hello at markdriscoll.org and I'll do my best to get you an answer. Howdy, this week's question comes from a Q&A I did about a decade ago. I got to co-author a book called Doctrine. I'm in the midst of rewriting it so that I can re-release it with a 10th anniversary edition. To prepare for that at the Trinity Church, where I pastor in Scottsdale, did a series of lectures and also have Q&As. So we're giving it away uh, as a gift to those who give a gift of any amount, including our monthly partners. And I wanted to share some of it with you. So here's one example of that Q&A. Summary of your question is God's Trinitarian, God's loving, God's relational. Why did God make us? You know, some would say because he was lonely. That's not the case. Um, and, and here's what's, I, I'm not sure that I can give you the clearest answer, but um, why did God make us? And we'll get into this when we get into Imago Dei and the doctrine of image and, and all of that in the opening chapters of Genesis. Um, but here's what's really weird. God doesn't need us. You know, so many relationships that we have, we need them, right? We need our employees to work. We need our spouse to love us. We need our kids to, you know, make life meaningful, give us some purpose, something greater than ourselves to to live for and to work for and to give to. And so the question is, why did God make us? He doesn't need us. It's a relationship of absolutely pure affection and love. Um, And it's totally to our benefit and it's at his expense. It doesn't benefit God to make us, especially once sin and the fall enters the world and we'll get into that. But God made us and God loves us and God blesses us. So some theologians would say that God making creation, God making angelic family, God making human family, God is just so loving, so life-giving, so healthy, so relational that it just keeps pouring out life and love and health and relationship. And I'll tell you, that's the God I met when I was 19. And that's what he's done in my life. He's, he's had a relationship with me. He's loved me. He's blessed me. He's brought health to me. He's invited me into union and communion with him. And I, every day I realize how unlike God I am. And I'm like, God, why? You just must be amazing. Uh, something comes to mind. Um, here's the difference between dog theology and cat theology. There's a theologian that uses this. How many of you are cat people? Let's just come, you know, confess in church and... We'll cast that demon out in a moment. Yes, I'm a cat person. Okay, pray and fast and cast that demon out. Okay, how many of you are dog people? Okay, okay. Here's the difference, what this theologian says between uh, cat theology and dog theology. If you go home and you feed your cat and you pet your cat and you pray with your cat, you play with your cat, don't pray with, I guess you you can pray with your cat. I don't think it does anything, but that's fine. So go home and play with your cat. The cat thinks... I must be a pretty amazing cat. I'm special. They're haughty animals, they just are. If you go home and you pet your dog and you play fetch with your dog and you feed your dog, the dog thinks, I've got a wonderful master. And so when we look at all that God does for us, cat theology says, we must be amazing. And dog theology says, he must be amazing. And, and, And that's the God of the Bible. He's, he's amazing and we're not. And so everything that he does is out of love and grace and an overflow of who he is and how he lives. 
that blesses us. And that, that just, what that should just awaken in us is this sense of kid-like wonder. Like, that's amazing that God's like this and that he loves me and I could talk to him and he'll talk with me and he wants to be with me and he wants to help me and I get to be his kid and I'm adopted into his family. And, and wow, this is a God I wanna get to know. This is a God I wanna be like. This is a God that I wanna live for. And so the Christian life then becomes this, this wondrous response to being overwhelmed with awe. Uh, I'll close with this. Um, how many of you have been to the Grand Canyon, right? Why do we go? Right, because it makes us feel small, right? I mean, if you think about it, it's a huge hole in the dirt, right? You're like, it's a, I've got a hole in my yard, right? People don't come there because it's not as big, okay? People travel from all around the world and you can tell it's, it's kind of amazing. We went there some years ago with the family. We get out of the car and we're walking and it's foggy and you can't really see and you come around the corner and just like, oh, you just stop. Take a little breath, why? You're in awe because you're in the presence of something that makes you feel very small. That's what worship is. It's being in the presence of a God who is so awe-inspiring that he makes you feel very small. But because we're made in his image and likeness, there's something in us when we feel small, we feel right. And we feel holy and we feel transcendent. So I'm telling you that everybody that goes to stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon needs to meet the God of the Bible. They're looking to be in the presence of something that is so, or someone I should say, who is so awe-inspiring, so holy, so other, so magnificent, that it's just a heart of wonder that explodes in response to the magnificence of this God.